After Vivian Goldman, the noted British music journalist, writer, and musician played The Clash's unreleased version of Police and Thieves for Bob Marley and Lee Perry, she said, well, what do you think? The original had been produced by Perry and sung in a haunting falsetto by Junior Mervyn. It had quickly become the soundtrack of the Notting Hill Carnival and the ensuing street riots that kicked off during the summer of 1976 when it was released. Marley's response to Joe Strummer's punk growl? It's different, but I like how he feels it. According to an essay in The Guardian in 2013, Mervyn's version of the song captured a unique moment in time. It was, quote, the perfect groove for a hot and sticky August bank holiday on the streets of West London. Eerily, The record had been pumping out of sound systems and shabines in London W10 and W11 postcodes in the days and hours before the community tensions of the time erupted in an all-out battle between predominantly black youth and the predominantly white police on the streets of Ladbroke Grove. Everywhere you went for the following few weeks, parties, blues dances, and even university student unions, the tune was being rinsed out like it was the pick of the pops. Even though John Peel had been playing Mervyn's version for months on his show, it was The Clash's version from their debut album in 1977 that would turn the song into a punk anthem. Mervyn's first reaction upon hearing the cover version was, quote, They have destroyed jaw work. But as reggae and punk rock were colliding and coming together in the UK in the 1970s, The Clash's version of Mervyn's original would create a cultural domino effect that would result in several iconic songs, including Marley's Punky Reggae Party, which gave the new social phenomena a name. It was also to serve as a direct influence on a young up-and-coming singer-songwriter named Declan McManus. He would later change his name to Elvis Costello, and write the noir reggae song, Watching the Detectives. The song would in turn directly influence Madness, who credited Costello's darkly bracing track as the inspiration for their hit song, My Girl. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to I Don't Like Reggae, I Love It, a special audio series of the Skaboom podcast that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music, that will explore the phenomena and cultural implications of cod reggae. Before I continue, I'm excited to announce that Fonz Music, F-O-N-Z, Music, is now sponsoring the podcast. 
If you are a music fanatic like me, then you are passionate about playing and sharing the music you love through Spotify playlists. Fonz is a brand new way to listen to music on Spotify with others. The Fonz Coaster is a cutting-edge device that allows multiple people to participate in the same Spotify session. That means no more passing your phone around, switching speakers, or asking someone else to put on your favorite song. With the Fonz Coaster and app, all of that is taken care of. Just pick up a Fonz Coaster, link your Spotify account through the app, and start queuing and sharing your music. I wish I'd had a Fonz during long van rides on tour with my bandmates when we were arguing about what song to play next. For more info, visit FonzMusic.com and type in the promo code SKABOOM to receive $5 off your first order. As reggae became part of the musical landscape in the 70s, more established white pop and rock artists began to experiment with it. Soon, direct musical influences like dub effects, reggae-styled bass, and syncopated drums began to find their way into popular mainstream music. As more non-reggae artists began to appropriate the sound of reggae and white audiences responded, this new Regatta de Blanc, as the police called their second album, received a less than flattering name, Cod Reggae. It's a harsh but efficient way of describing reggae music reconfigured for a mass audience. But before we get started, you may be asking, what is Cod Reggae? The meaning of the word Cod is thought to have originated in the 19th century and is almost exclusively a British term. Cod, in the sense of joke, hoax, leg pull, appears in the early 20th century and features in James Joyce's portrait of the artist as a young man. Quote, some fellows had drawn it there for a cod. Cod also functions as an adjective. Bernard Scher's language quotes a politician on Irish TV news saying, quote, that's a cod argument. Everyone knew what they were voting for. So by definition, cod reggae means faux, joke, or nonsense reggae. Now, watching the detectives inhabits an interesting space somewhere between rock and reggae. Is it a cod reggae song? Technically, I suppose so. But the music embraces 70s era reggae as best it can. Check out that killer bass line. And Costello has paired it with lyrics that are cinematic in scope. It's a song I've always loved but never really understood until more recently. So let's dig into the story of watching the detectives, which remains one of Costello's most beloved. Turns out, the song was written during a 36-hour jag, while Costello was hopped up on caffeine and who knows what else. He had been listening to The Clash's first album, which he initially hated, but which grew on him the more he listened, particularly Police and Thieves. He said, quote, I wrote it, When I heard the first Clash record, I sort of locked myself in the flat I was living in and listened to their record over and over again through headphones. It was the new thing, and I wanted to know what this thing was about. Reggae was part of my teenage years as party music, but this was the more radical political reggae. By the end of it, I thought, with the arrogance of youth, well, I can do better than this. So I just wrote the whole song. There was that reggae part of it going on and I had grown up on all the American detective shows. We were trying to do these orchestral things, but all we could afford was a piano. The charm of the record is that it has this incredibly tough rhythm section, and then it's got these things that come from other places. There's a noir thing going through a lot of the songs in my catalog. This is just the first one. 
Costello provided more insight into the factors that led to him writing and recording the song during the Apple Music Essentials interview earlier this year. To be really honest, it was listening to the first Clash record for uh, when I first got it for a whole night. That was a jolt, you know, that was the first long player by a group that that came out of 77 uh, that, that really made me sit up. I, I had been into the studio and I'd recorded. Uh, I may have even had a single out by then. I don't really recall. I, bear in mind, my records came, came out as singles first. Alison was, was my second single and was a, was a bomb. It, it, it didn't, it, nobody played it at all. It's odd to say that it's a song that people, you know. So I had Lesson Zero out, you know, a couple of people noticed. Alison, few more people noticed. Then, you know, I, Watching the Detectives was written in the summer of 77. So there was a lot going on. Like many of his punk era peers, Costello chose to dabble in reggae, using the rhythm to underscore his story. Unlike most of them, you get the impression that Costello wasn't really setting out to do a reggae song so much as he realized reggae was the only music that offered the space he needed to tell the story. And maybe he was feeling just a little bit competitive with The Clash. I'll admit that as much as I love the song and its reggae noir vibes, it's always been a mystery to me. The lyrics are sung so quickly, and there is so much wordplay, a Costello trademark, that I've always felt like I was missing key clues about what exactly is going on. Is he watching a detective show on TV with a woman, or is he one of the characters, or both? Even though watching the detectives is credited to Elvis Costello and the attractions, the song was actually recorded in May of 1977, before the attractions formed. The backing band features Steve Goulding on drums and Andrew Bodner on bass guitar, both from Graham Parker's band The Rumor. Tired of playing the same Costello songs from his debut album, My Aim is True, over and over, with various musicians who were auditioning for Costello's band, the trio decided to take on watching the detectives after listening to The Clash's debut album. The original demo version recorded in August 1977, is a revelation. It has a rough and ready quality that is even darker and more sinister than the version that appeared on Costello's debut album. Goulding's opening drum intro is startling, and he locks in with Bodner's bass line into an unforgettable groove. On top of that, you have Steve Naive's choppy organ and Costello's creeping film noir guitar riffs. In case you've never heard the demo, you're in for a treat. Cause he's got the high 
Of note, Naive's keyboard overdubs were added later. According to an interview Costello did with Billboard magazine in 2018, quote, When we did Watching the Detectives, it was the first record that Steve Naive played on. He was 19 years old, straight out of the Royal College, and we'd only just met. I said, this is about detectives. I want a piano thing that sounds like Bernard Herrmann. And of course, he didn't know what I was talking about. So what you hear on the record is this galloping piano thing that rushes the beat, and it sounds like one of those sudden jarring gestures that Herman would use a lot. But we just had a battered upright in an eight-track studio. According to the American Songwriter website, quote, 
The individual instrumental elements are bold, but they crucially leave enough spaces for Costello to breathlessly express his point of view. In addition, the inherent tension in the music mirrors the sexual frustration of the song's put-upon protagonist, who can't get the attention of the object of his desire because he's too busy watching old films on TV. Thank you, American Songwriter website. Now I know what's going on. And as I suspected, in the stunning final verse, the perspective zigzags wildly between the movie and the romantically doomed couple watching it. The lines between fiction and reality becoming blurred. The girl's symbolic murder at the end of the song, it only took my little fingers to blow you away, represents some breakdown between the couple. She's filing her nails while they're dragging the lake. During this series, I'll be taking a deep dive into well-known and obscure cod reggae tracks, including Dreadlock Holiday by 10CC, Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus, and more. If you've listened and received some value from this episode, then please help support the podcast for as little as $3 per month on Patreon. Supporters get access to exclusive content like special episodes of the podcast and advanced promo chapters from my book, Ska Boom, and American Ska and Reggae Oral History, which will be published later this summer. Just go to patreon.com backslash Podcast for more information. Thanks for listening and take care.